The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar Whatever Madame Ambert might have said about it, Arsène Lupin did not feel at home in the Ambert house. On the contrary, his position there was a peculiar one. He learned that the servants did not even know his name. They called him Monsieur. Ludovic always spoke of him in the same way. You will tell Monsieur. Has Monsieur arrived? Why that mysterious appellation? Moreover, after their first outburst of enthusiasm, the Amberts seldom spoke to him, and although treating him with the consideration due to a benefactor, they gave him little or no attention. They appeared to regard him as an eccentric character who did not like to be disturbed, and they respected his isolation as if it were a stringent rule on his part. On one occasion, while passing through the vestibule, he heard Madame Amber say to two gentlemen, He is such a barbarian. Very well, he said to himself. I am a barbarian. And without seeking to solve the question of their strange conduct, he proceeded with the execution of his own plans. He had decided that he could not depend on chance nor on the negligence of Madame Ambert, who carried the key of the safe, and who, on locking the safe, invariably scattered the letters forming the combination of the lock. Consequently, he must act for himself. Finally, an incident precipitated matters. It was the vehement campaign instituted against the Amberts by certain newspapers that accused the Amberts of swindling. Arsène Lupin was present at certain family conferences when this new vicissitude was discussed. He decided that if he waited much longer, he would lose everything. During the next five days, instead of leaving the house about six o'clock, according to his usual habit, he locked himself in his room. It was supposed that he had gone out but he was lying on the floor, surveying the office of Monsieur Ambert. During those five evenings, the favorable opportunity that he awaited did not take place. He left the house about midnight by a side door to which he held the key. But on the sixth day, he learned that the Amberts, actuated by the malevolent insinuations of their enemies, proposed to make an inventory of the contents of the safe. They will do it tonight, thought Lupin. And truly, after dinner, Ambert and his wife retired to the office and commenced to examine the books of account and the securities contained in the safe. Thus, one hour after another passed away. He heard the servants go upstairs to their rooms. No one now remained on the first floor. Midnight. The Amberts were still at work. I must get to work, murmured Lupin. He opened his window. It opened on a court. Outside, everything was dark and quiet. He took from his desk a knotted rope, fastened it to the balcony in front of his window, and quietly descended as far as the window below, which was that of the Ambert's office. He stood upon the balcony for a moment, motionless, with attentive ear and watchful eye, but the heavy curtains effectually concealed the interior of the room. He cautiously pushed on the double window. If no one had examined it, it ought to yield to the slightest pressure, for during the afternoon he had so fixed the bolt that it would not enter the staple. The window yielded to his touch. Then, with infinite care, he pushed it open sufficiently to admit his head. He parted the curtains a few inches, looked in, and saw Monsieur Ambert and his wife sitting in front of the safe, deeply absorbed in their work and speaking softly to each other at rare intervals. 
He calculated the distance between him and them, considered the exact movements he would be required to make in order to overcome them, one after the other, before they could call for help, and was about to rush upon them when Madame Ambert said, "'Ah, the room is getting quite cold. I am going to bed. And you, my dear?' "'I shall stay and finish.' "'Finish? Well, that will take you all night.' "'Not at all. An hour at the most.' She retired. Twenty minutes, thirty minutes passed. Arsène pushed the window a little farther open. The curtains shook. He pushed once more. Monsieur Ambert turned, and, seeing the curtains blown by the wind, he rose to close the window. There was not a cry, not the trace of a struggle. With a few precise movements, and without causing him the least injury, Arsène stunned him, wrapped the curtain around his head, bound him hand and foot, and did it all in such a manner that Monsieur Ambert had no opportunity to recognize his assailant. Quickly he approached the safe, seized two packages that he placed under his arm, left the office, and opened the servant's gate. A carriage was stationed in the street. "'Take that first, and follow me,' he said to the coachman. He returned to the office, and in two trips they emptied the safe. Then Arsène went to his own room, removed the rope, and all other traces of his clandestine work. A few hours later, Arsène Lupin and his assistant examined the stolen goods. Lupin was not disappointed, as he had foreseen that the wealth of the Amberts had been greatly exaggerated. It did not consist of hundreds of millions, nor even tens of millions, yet it amounted to a very respectable sum, and Lupin expressed his satisfaction. Of course, he said, there will be a considerable loss when we come to sell the bonds, as we will have to dispose of them surreptitiously at reduced prices. In the meantime, they will rest quietly in my desk awaiting a propitious moment. Arsène saw no reason why he should not go to the Ambert house the next day. But a perusal of the morning papers revealed this startling fact. Ludovic and Gervais Ambert had disappeared. When the officers of the law seized the safe and opened it, they found there what Arsène Lupin had left. Nothing. Such are the facts, and I learned the sequel to them one day, when Arsène Lupin was in a confidential mood. He was pacing to and fro in my room with a nervous step and a feverish eye that were unusual to him. After all, I said to him, it was your most successful venture. Without making a direct reply, he said, there are some impenetrable secrets connected with that affair, some obscure points that escape my comprehension. For instance, what caused their flight? Why did they not take advantage of the help I unconsciously gave them? It would have been so simple to say, the hundred millions were in the safe, they are no longer there because they have been stolen. They lost their nerve. Yes, that is it. They lost their nerve. On the other hand, it is true. What is true? Oh, nothing. What was the meaning of Lupin's reticence? It was quite obvious that he had not told me everything. There was something he was loath to tell. His conduct puzzled me. It must be indeed a very serious matter to cause such a man as Arsène Lupin even a momentary hesitation. I threw out a few questions at random. Have you seen them since? No. And have you never experienced the slightest degree of pity for those unfortunate people? I? he exclaimed with a start. His sudden excitement astonished me. Had I touched him on a sore spot? I continued. Of course. If you had not left them alone, they might have been able to face the danger, or at least made their escape with full pockets. What do you mean? he said indignantly. I suppose you have an idea that my soul should be filled with remorse? 
call it remorse or regrets, anything you like. They're not worth it. Have you no regrets or remorse for having stolen their fortune? What fortune? The packages of bonds you took from their safe. Oh, I stole their bonds, did I? I deprived them of a portion of their wealth. Is that my crime? Ah, my dear boy, you do not know the truth. You never imagined that those bonds were not worth the paper they were written on. Those bonds were false. They were counterfeit. Every one of them. Do you understand? They were counterfeit. I looked at him astounded. Counterfeit? The four or five million? Yes! Counterfeit! he exclaimed in a fit of rage. Only so many scraps of paper. I couldn't raise a sou on the whole of them. And you ask me if I have any remorse. They are the ones who should have remorse and pity. They played me for a simpleton, and I fell into their trap. I was their latest victim, their most stupid gull. He was affected by genuine anger, the result of malice and wounded pride. He continued, From start to finish, I got the worst of it. Do you know the part I played in that affair, or rather the part they made me play? That of Andre Brawford. Yes, my boy, that is the truth, and I never suspected it. It was not until afterwards, on reading the newspapers, that the light finally dawned in my stupid brain. Whilst I was posing as his savior, as the gentleman who had risked his life to rescue Monsieur Ambert from the clutches of an assassin, they were passing me off as Brawford. Wasn't that splendid? That eccentric individual who had a room on the second floor, that barbarian that was exhibited only at a distance, was Brawford, and Brawford was I. Thanks to me and to the confidence that I inspired under the name of Brawford, they were enabled to borrow money from the bankers and other moneylenders. <laughs> what an experience for a novice, and I swear to you that I shall profit by the lesson. He stopped, seized my arm, and said to me in a tone of exasperation, My dear fellow, at this very moment, Gervais Ambert owes me fifteen hundred francs. I could not refrain from laughter. His rage was so grotesque. He was making a mountain out of a molehill. In a moment, he laughed himself and said, <laughs> Yes, my boy, fifteen hundred francs. You must know that I had not received one sou of my promised salary, and more than that, she had borrowed from me the sum of fifteen hundred francs, all my youthful savings. And do you know why? To devote the money to charity. I am giving you a straight story. She wanted it for some poor people she was assisting, unknown to her husband. And my hard-earned money was wormed out of me by that silly pretense. Isn't it amusing, huh? Arsène Lupin done out of 1,500 francs by the fair lady from whom he stole 4 million in counterfeit bonds. And what a vast amount of time and patience and cunning I expended to achieve that result. It was the first time in my life that I was played for a fool and I frankly confess that I was fooled that time to the Queen's taste. <laughs>